Hey, this is your name, your name, your name. And uh, they say it ain't easy. He's real. Gang Green and their man. Robert Sala. Talk about all gas, no break. The great one. We're not talking about effort on the field. We're talking about the process at which we do things. I'm not gonna lie to you. There's no way I'm not gonna have enthusiasm on the sideline. Hey, own this run! Own this run! The New York Jets. I think we're gonna win next Sunday. everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the ain't easy being green podcast broadcasting to you live from las vegas nevada you boys on a little business trip here mike you know him you love him the number one jet in the state of texas coming at you mike what's going on yo what's up keith i hope you're enjoying yourself over there in vegas i'm a little out of sorts here in nevada things are a little different watching the super bowl at 3 30 was a little different mike got a little taste of the west coast life out here uh, the game itself, though, man, we got to get into it, Mike. The game was probably one of the most entertaining Super Bowls. The Super Bowls the past decade have been bangers. Yeah. I mean, let's be real. There's a ton of great games we've had the past decade where we had a ton of stinkers before that. A lot of good games. So I'm not going to go out and say this is the greatest Super Bowl game of all time. But I, I'll say, Mike, you know, you rank it out of 10. This is 10 out of 10 when it comes to excitement for neutral fans like us. I don't really have any beef with the Chiefs. I don't really have any beef with the Eagles, like a lot of Giant fans here. So me and Mike and the rest of the AEBG crew, we're just really, besides the Wookiee, of course, who hates the Eagles. He's a Giant fan. <laughs> the rest of us is rooting for a good game, and that's what we got. Mike, Jalen Hurts, we didn't think he would crumble in the big moment. He did not. Ran for three touchdowns, threw a touchdown, 300 yards for him. I think that turnover was kind of the turning point in the game. But our boy, Patrick Mahomes, now I feel bad because I shouldn't have doubted him. I don't, I feel like this is the first game that we talked about, Mike, in the playoffs or regular season. Every time talking about, anytime we've talked about the Chiefs, where I actually watched the Bengal game and we're like, I don't know about him in this game versus the Eagles, you know, because the Bengals did a pretty decent job. His ankle didn't look 100%, Mike. And then Mahomes came out. I'm not saying he threw for a ton of yards, but he took what the defense gave him. Three touchdowns, 24 points for the Chiefs in the second half, Mike. Um, Tremendous game. And I think that, the Eagles defense, if we point to anything in this that surprised me the most from the game, it was the play of that Eagles defense that got lit up this game, especially in the second half, Mike. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, in games like this, you could be lights out the way Jalen Hurts was. Unreal game. He he, You could try to argue and say that he even outplayed Mahomes, but he had the critical mistake. And the Chiefs yeah. defense you know got on top of it and executed and to your point the eagles defense they just didn't find opportunities they didn't force their will and their dominance on the offensive line and on a hurt patrick mahomes because make no mistake patrick mahomes was was not a hundred percent not a hundred percent and he still still was going and making those runs still putting his body out there you know he's a football player and that's what he did and and you know there's a lot of narratives out there about the holding holding call in fourth quarter on Juju Smith-Schuster. The truth is, guys, the Eagles lost the game, okay? They turned the ball over, and, and the Chiefs were able to capitalize on their opportunities, and they executed. And I thought at the very end, when they uh, essentially kneeled on the ball to send the clock all the way down and then kick the field goal with eight seconds left, it was brilliant. And hats off to the Chiefs. They were not as talented of a team as the Eagles, okay? But they were outcoached and outplayed by the best player, Patrick Mahomes. And he is showing everyone today that he's not only is he a generational quarterback and the best quarterback in the game today, but if he continues with what he's doing, he will be on the top pantheon of greatest players to ever play this game. It's it's he's 27, already has two Super Bowl rings, two MB, two uh, you know, uh Super Bowl MVPs, NFL MVP. So I, I loved the game overall. It was so entertaining. I was watching both teams just beasting. And um hats off to the Chiefs. Yeah, you watch these games, Mike, and you just see because I think they're arguably pretty much most people would agree these are the two best teams i think in the league this year and when you see those teams play each other operating at that level 
man, you just you just think about I can't help but think about the jet being in that game and what that would feel like, man. My entire life I haven't seen it. Your entire life you haven't seen it. Anybody younger than us, anybody younger than 50 years old doesn't remember it, you know, to be honest. So Mike, I, I just where my mind always goes, man. It was it was a tremendous game. I agree with you when it comes to the call at the end. Obviously, it changed things and allowed them to run the clock down. And I think that's the biggest difference because they had a first down there instead of being having to kick a field goal at that point. And I don't remember how much time was left. I think it was about a minute left. Maybe Mike a little bit more than that. But they still would have been in field goal range. Um, so I understand that did alter things, but it's not like the Chiefs. Butker had missed one. But I still think at that point, you can count on them to knock that field goal. And it would have probably been about a 35-yarder or 40-yarder. Then the Eagles have the ball and a chance to tie the game. I get that. Not how it went. The player, even on the Eagles, said, I did hold him. So, I mean, what do you? if you're an Eagles fan or anyone that wants to complain, you really can't say much if the guy who got flagged, I think it was Bradbury, um, comes out and says, look, I, I, it was a hold. What are you going to do at that point? So, it's unfortunate it went that way, but I thought it was a great game. I thought Pacheco had a great game. Mike, he kind of showed out for the Chiefs. Mahomes, not like he threw for a ton of yards, Mike. He threw for, let's see what Mahomes, I think it was 184. The 182 on the day, right? But pretty efficient, 21 for 27. Spread the ball around. Mahomes just getting the ball to anyone who's open on any given play, taking what they gave him. And at the end, Mike, just like, it just felt like, the Chiefs were going to win that game in the fourth quarter. Right when the Eagles tied the game, I was like, they're going to figure out a way because that's what we've seen Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid do. And Andy Reid, someone that I don't know if he gets as much credit as he should. Uh, two Super Bowls now for Andy Reid puts him in that rare, rarefied air as a two Super Bowl coach. And Mike, you've mentioned this before when it comes to quarterbacks that have won multiple Super Bowls. And you, me, and a bunch of our friends the other day were debating it was a tremendous debate about Elway and Mahomes and all these different quarterbacks, Mike. And it was really, really... If, any ABG fan would have loved to have been in that chat because everyone was really going at it. And I do think now when you talk about multiple Super Bowl QBs, you're talking Brady, you're talking Montana, probably at the top. I think Peyton Manning's up there. Mike, like you said, Elway. We were talking about all-time QBs, but multiple Super Bowl QBs. Elway has to be up there because uh, he's won a couple. He got to four other ones. And now Mahomes. Yeah. I know people might not want to look at it that way, but like Mike mentioned it all, he is about to be 27 and he's won two MVPs. He's won two Super Bowl MVPs. He's doing this all really early in his career here. I know Brady had a lot of success early, but Mike, we know they cheated. So, you know, not right. To say I, I, Mahomes no, not doesn't to say. need Mahomes. I'm being very real. And again, you know, I know the whole bias thing. He doesn't need eight chips to be the best. If he gets to five and legit five chips, and dominates the way he's dominating, I'll put him at the top. I mean, he's eye test wise, he's the best I've ever seen. And I can say that now, not even yeah. hesitate to any of you. I've never seen a quarterback do a no look pass on a game. It's like Jordan level stuff. Like when, when I watched Jordan and I just would flip out on how nasty yeah. he was, eye yep. test wise. That's yeah. what Mahomes reminds me of. You, you know yeah. what I'm saying? That's a great, so. that's a great comparison. Mike, you know what? You know how there's quarterbacks that their anticipation and understanding of the play is just so superior, like a Rodgers or a Manning or a Brady. Those guys exist in one subset of quarterbacks. Then there's the quarterbacks that you'd watch them, and they're just instinctually, like you just said with Mahomes, sidearm passes, flinging it around like a Steve Young, guys like that. They just always manage to get the ball where it had to go. Mahomes is in both of those groups, where when he sits back in the pocket, he, know, he, he knows what he's doing. He's operating at a top level. And then when he has to get outside the pocket... We're not saying he's Michael Vick or, you know, Lamar Jackson or anything like that, but he always manages, no matter where he's at, no matter what the arm angle is, he's fall, he always manages to get the ball to someone. So, I mean, Mahomes operating on a different level, guys, and a couple of Jet players from the past that continually operated on a different level throughout their career was Darrell Revis and Joe Klecko. Mike, two new minted Hall of Famers, two Jet Hall of Famers, guys. I want to say, Jet fans and Jet Nation, we don't get a lot of nights or times to be proud. Unfortunately, guys, let's just be real. We don't have a lot of those times, right? And we got one of those this past week. We got one of those nights this past week where the Jets kind of shine. The Jets of the past shine, Mike, and a couple of Jets here for the future shine in Sauce Gardner, in Garrett Wilson. We're going to get into those boys in a moment, but... Michael, Darrell Revis, I know a, a player near and dear to both our hearts. Probably, I would say, in my life. Now, Joe Klecko played in my life also. We're going to get to him in a moment. But he stopped playing when I was about seven or eight years old. So as an adult, I think the best players I've ever seen play on the Jets, only one guy can be in the conversation with Revis, and that's Curtis Martin. No one else is even in the conversation. 
I mean, that's it. It's just Darrell Revis and Curtis Martin in my life. That is the two best Jets of pretty much my entire life, my adult life, Mike. Do you agree? Yeah, uh, Darrell. <laughs> and I can't wait uh, for us to show some of the videos that we've made. And while I was uh, making the Darrell one, I, I got misty. <laughs> I put, and, and you guys will see, there's a there's a clip in there when he, he plays up against Des Bryant. Me and you were at that game. It was 9-11. Yep. Remember that? 10-year anniversary of 9-11. He was yeah. so beast mode. Just, just dominated. I mean, guys... In 2009, he played against Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson, Chados Chosinko. He played against all the top receivers, Reggie Wayne, and not one of them had over 35 yards. Not one. That um, year, that that year got to me is the most dominant any cornerback has ever played in the history of the sport for a season. I'm not calling him the best corner of all time. I think that goes to Dion. But he's in the conversation at number two. I'm not, you know, you, you we could debate all you want. And I understand his longevity wasn't what it was supposed to be. You know, we wish he played more years. But when he was at his best, he was the best. And that's why he got what he got. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that a lot of people consider Revis the second best corner after Dion. It's because his run of dominance from right around that 2000, end of 2008, Mike, 2009, 2010, up to about 2014, 15, absolutely the best corner in the NFL. There was no question. There was no argument. There was no one you could even compare to him over that span. That's and you're right. playing a position now. These corners now is why Sauce is so amazing and some of these young guys are so amazing because these receivers, you cannot touch these dudes. You can't put your hands on them like back in the day, like Dion could and some of these guys. You can't even really get physical with them after five yards to a degree. So that's why what would Revis did is so amazing. And speaking of which, man, Michael's a special video. Let's just tee it up, Mike. A little special video tribute we have here from ABG to the new Hall of Famer. Oh, that's Garrett Wilson right there. Hold on. Um, the hey. brand new Hall of Famer, Darrell Revis. Who's the toughest defender you had to go against? Revis. Revis. Revis hey. would like that? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of good corners in this league, but there's only one Darrell Revis. Not a good corner, not a great corner, a generational corner. Find one of these guys once every 15 to 20 years. Third and seven, not more. He wasn't just good. He was, he was second to Deion Sanders on my all-time corners list. All they want to know is who's he on. Who's he coming? Because if they know if he's on you, then you've got a long day. What's up? <laughs> Welcome to Canton, bro. Class of 2023. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, Tom, man, I appreciate it so much.
Darrell Rivas, Hall of Fame resume, a seven-time Pro Bowl participant, four times first-team All-Pro, part of the 2010s NFL All-Decade team, most pass defenses in a season at 31 in, new, in NFL history, most career pass defended, 112 New York Jet history. Per Pro Football Focus, Quarterbacks had a passer rating of 65.6 when targeting Darrell Revis. The average was 79.2. They threw more interceptions, 29, than touchdowns, 24, on 145 games played. His lockdown nature earned him the right of the nickname Revis Island. He played eight seasons with the New York Jets who picked him number 14 overall in 2007 out of the University of Pittsburgh. Loving that ABG fans. Darrell Revis minted in the Hall of Fame. Mike, that was tremendous. 29 interceptions in his career, only 24 touchdowns. That's that's as pretty much as good as it gets. 112 pass deflections as a jet. I mean, Darrell Revis was just operating on a different level and was probably the reason why those defenses, Mike, 2009, 2010. We had a lot of good players. Um, Cromarty was good on the other side as well, but Revis just changed the game. I mean, he just made it so a quarter of the field just stopped being targeted. And your 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 best wide receiver, wherever he went, Revis was following. And I don't know if there's any player that ever had a season as good as he had in 2009 when it comes from a, a cornerback standpoint, the guys he went up against, Mike, like you mentioned, on the stat line he gave up. I remember the end of the year when we got to the playoff, they showed in the paper everyone he went up against and their stats against him. And I was like, man, this dude just shut down this everyone. That's insane. <laughs> Revis Island was created. That's right. That's right. But hey, as good as that video was, Keith put a, something together on our boy Joe Klecko. Now, this I have to admit, Joe is it's different than Revis because we all knew Revis was going to get in. Dr Joe, he's been and fighting. Find out he should have been in a long time ago. It's oh, emotional. Ago. It's emotional for us because this is our boy. And he's deserved it, and he finally got it, and it's just – it's beautiful. And I love what, what Keith's put together. For yeah, and you know what, Mike? Um, Jet fans, I'm 42 years old. So Jet fans my age and then a little older than me, um, you know, when I was growing up and I first remember the Jets, now I've been going to Jet season – my dad has season tickets my whole life. So since I'm born, I've been going to Jet games. And little me, when it was still Shea Stadium, you know, Jets, I was going – and even when they transitioned over to, to the Meadowlands, you know, um, that was kind of the end of Joe Klecko's career. But my my, you know, when you're young, just like the Mets, Keith Hernandez and Gary Carter, you know, and then um, Dwight Gooden, these are like larger than life people to me still. And that was 1986, 87, 88 when they were balling, you know, but they still mean a lot to me. And Joe Klecko is kind of the same type of player. Joe Klecko and Ken O'Brien and Freeman McNeil, um, Al Toon and some of these guys from when I was growing up. They're still legends to me, you know, and Joe Klecko always was someone that I never understood why he didn't get maybe the publicity or maybe some of the respect that other players got. Because if you think about it now, and Mike, I was explaining to you, he made all pro um, at two positions. He made the Pro Bowl at three positions. Yep. So imagine an Aaron Donald next year decided to play defensive end instead of playing D tackle, and he was the Pro Bowler at defensive end. If that happened in 2023, people would be like, this is the craziest thing anyone's ever seen. He didn't just do it at two positions. He did it at three different positions. Coming from the sixth round, I mean, what? Joe Klecko, man, he's really something else, Mike. Let's uh, let he Also a new Hall of Famer. It took him 25 years to get in. I want to give a shout-out to Howie Long. Had a lot to do with him getting in there. Uh, the Veterans Committee kind of re-examining players who, if they did what they – you know, what he accomplished in his career, if it happened now – he'd be an automatic Hall of Famer because he was so versatile and he was so great at so many spots. But guys kind of, kind of get lost in the mix, and I kind of think Joe Klecko is one of those dudes. We'll go through some of his accolades and Revis' accolades in a moment, but let's start with this little package we have for my boy, Joe Klecko. 
Hey, honey, your name is Keep the Lunch. Intensity, bottom line. Two-time first-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowl player, a dominant player at three different positions. It was an incredible accomplishment to be dominant at one position in the NFL in your career, but to be dominant at three positions. He could disengage from a blocker better than just about anybody I've ever seen. His just pure raw strength, his quickness off the ball, his understanding of leverage and just sheer power. It one of the most unique performers in NFL history. You can count on two fingers the men who have basically played three positions at a Pro Bowl level. In the sixth round of the 1977 NFL Draft, the New York Jets selected Joe Klecko out of Temple University. Despite dominating for the Owls on the defensive line, Klecko was unheralded. Being drafted in the sixth round was, a, was to me, a knock. I With farm boy strength and a huge chip on his shoulder, he came into Jets training camp ready to fight. Using a combination of leverage and brute strength, Klecko made life miserable for some of the best offensive linemen in NFL history. One of those guys that just never quit. He just kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. The kind of problems that Joe Klecko gave them uh, they're Pro Football Hall of Famers. The respect they have for him is evident, and I think it speaks volumes. In 1981, the New York Sack Exchange was born. Combining with Mark Gastonum, Marty Lyons, and Abdul Salam, Klecko and the Jets dismantled opposing quarterbacks with 66 sacks. Klecko led the NFL with 20 and a half, a franchise record. The respect that he has around the league uh, from his opponents, uh, from people that he played with, uh, other defensive linemen, uh, Hall of Famers have gone on record talking about him being someone who they feel is is a player that belongs in the Hall of Fame. Oh, hi, baby. Welcome. Oh, Welcome oh, to the Pro oh. Football Hall of Fame. Oh, thank you, Joe. Oh, my God. 2023. Oh, so it couldn't be by any way else better. God, God, thank you, thank you. Thank you, God. Oh, man. Oh, Joe, I got to admit, it's never been as good to see it as now. Really, it is. Thank you, man. All right, everybody, that was a little Joe Klecko tribute there, man. Some of the younger fans might not know how much of a baller he was, but now you do know he's got the number retired, guys. He's getting the ring of hall, he's in the ring of honor for the Jets, now officially a Hall of Famer. Um, him and Revis going in the same year. We got two Jets going in at the same yeah. time. Yeah, and a guy like Revis, who modern day, me and you watched every single play of his career as a yeah. Jet. Every yeah. single one of them, right? And then Joe Klecko, just one of my complete childhood idols, one of the greatest players of all time. Um, when it comes to the defensive line, both going into the hall, Mike, we're gonna have to be there. I think maybe we'll try to get the, Sam to come. With them. The only thing I have a controversial feeling over is that I'm happy that Darrell got a chip, but I can't be happy the way I want to be because it was with New England. Well, I mean, of course, I mean that's just like. That's just that's just the way it is. There's no there's no way around that fandom. You, you're always going to have that filter there. And unfortunately, he had to go to the Evil Empire over there and win a chip. Um, and he and the year that they won a chip, he played great. Also, he did. but he he, did. look, he did he did come back to the Jets, 2015 2016. Finished off, and he had one year with the Chiefs. But basically, had his, his swan song here um, with the Jets and played pretty well. And Drevis, um, and Revis was what seven time Pro Bowler, like you said, full time All Pro. Yep, so, yep, yep. and most of those are all with the Jets. So yep. we we know what team he played for. We know what team he's going in as. Unfortunately, didn't get the chip as a Jet. Um, when it comes to Klecko, a lot of people don't know he was NFL Defensive Player of the Year, 1981. This dude had 20 and a half sacks that season. We know the sack exchange was getting going. Four time Pro Bowl 
two-time All-Pro. Like any old Jet fan will tell you, if they didn't get gas to know and he didn't have to move positions, he would have just stayed out there in defensive end just ripping people up. Um, you know, played at the Temple Hours yeah. in Chester, Pennsylvania. So he's a Northeast guy too. Um, so I like Klecko a lot for that. But it's not just those two, Mike, who got some accolades this weekend. We had our two rookies that we predicted, and all Jet fans knew Sauce was going to win. I mean, we knew what was good with Sauce. There's just no, There was no way around who was getting the defensive player of the year. However, the offensive player of the year, there was some some uncertainty. I think Walker had a good case, Mike. Even though I didn't agree with it, you per, you made a good case for Purdy, and a lot of people thought the same. And I understand it, even though it was only five games. But on a full season basis, over 17 games, taking into account the quarterbacks he had to play with, I mean, I don't think anyone really compared to Garrett Wilson, and that's kind of how it shook out. The official NFL Offensive Player of the Year, Garrett Wilson, and – the Defensive Player of the Year, Sauce Gardner, only the third time that has happened in 56 years, Mike. That's saying something for that draft last year. Since we okay. were just talking about him, Offensive Player of the Year here, Mike, why don't we just – we got a little tribute, a little hype video for everyone. Also, for Garrett Wilson, Mike. So let's go. Garrett Wilson, a little highlights, a little Offensive Player of the Year tribute from ADNC being green. You know that he's not afraid of the moment, that he has superior confidence, but he's not cocky. Now, being compared to Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, remember, that's not that's high praise, but it shouldn't be that far off because, you know, last year, Jamar Chase around this time was being compared to Justin Jefferson, and he exceeded the expectations. Now, let's see if he can take the next step. And the next step is, can he perform when he becomes the center of attention for opposing defenses, where they make their game plan to take away what he does well and what he doesn't do well? And the 2022 AP Offensive Rookie of the Year is... Garrett Wilson. Keep moving, keep moving. Keep moving, keep moving. Foot on the gas, cannot let them pass. They won't stop the movement. Keep pushing, keep pushing. Keep pushing, keep pushing. No matter how hard they try, they know that they can't stop the mission. Keep running, keep running, keep running, keep running, because they're going to test us. Beautiful. All right, everybody. That's our little our little hype package for our boy offensive player of the year, Garrett Wilson. We hope you enjoyed that. 83 receptions for our boy this year, which is a jet record for rookies. 1,103 yards, another uh, another rookie record for the New York Jets. Average 13.3 yards per reception, which we broke down last week, Mike, when you go through the guys who had 140 targets when it comes to their average per catch. The only guys above our boy is Tyree Kill, Jamar Chase, all the top, top, top. Actually, Jamar Chase wasn't even. It's Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, Tyree Kill. Those are the only guys above our boy. So you're talking about someone that's already operating at a super elite level. And I looked it up, Mike. There was four games there. He had 11, he had 1,103 yards. And there was a four-game stretch, or not a stretch, but four games, I should say, with Zach Wilson. One of the games, he had eight yards. One game, he had 24 one game he had 12, and then that second game versus the Pats, he had 27. That's only 71 yards in four games. So there's four games he was basically non-existent with Wilson out there. He still managed to get 1,100 yards. I mean, he was absolutely remarkable this year and probably safe to say way better 
that any of us anticipated. And we all thought he'd be good, Mike, but not this good. No, not this good. And and the last game of the season really, to me, culminated his value. All Joe, Joe Flacco was doing was just throwing to him. Just mm-hmm. kept throwing to him, kept throwing to him. They couldn't stop him. He he was on the same field with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, and he was the best receiver on that last day when we played up against the Miami Dolphins in Miami. Garrett Wilson, I, now you guys remember when I did my take on who I thought was going to be the best top five rookies, and I put Garrett at six. I thought Olave would be better. I thought um, Burks was going to be better. I thought Christian Watson was going to be better, right? And hey, look, Watson did pretty good. I thought Olave did had a really good yeah. season. You know what I'm saying? Burks not really so much. Obviously, Jameson Williams wasn't completely healthy, and then we had yeah. dude London down in Atlanta. But Wilson was better than all of them, and it's all not even close. And it's not even close, guys. And guess what? You just saw two guys go into the Hall of Fame on the defensive side. We had a defensive rookie of the year, Sheldon Richardson, a couple of years ago. We do have, obviously, Sauce, who we're going to get into in a second. But we have not had an offensive rookie of the year, a young offensive beast since, honestly, Keyshawn. I was going to say Keyshawn. That's the last one I could think of. And so far as a rookie offensive contributor who's immediately beast mode, it's probably Keyshawn. I mean, it has to be. I, I can't. I'm trying to think, man, on offense. I don't nah, know. No one. Cause we haven't drafted a running back like who's been great like that. We haven't drafted a receiver like that. Obviously, we know. Obviously, we know it's not quarterback. Or you can say Sanchez had a good win. Sanchez had good results as a rookie. Um, we got to the AFC Championship game, but he was not that great a player as a rookie. So my, I don't think you can disagree with that. And at the end of the year, that last game versus the Dolphins, Mike, they targeted Garrett Wilson Flacco 17 times. So you're right. He basically threw the ball to him. I think he only had about 31 pass attempts that day or 32 and 17. <laughs> the attempts went to Garrett Wilson. So he threw the ball to him a lot, you know, and the, on the flip side, the other side of the ball was someone we pretty much knew was a lock for this defensive rookie of the year. I mean, there, there was no arguments. There was no one in his conversation. I understand there was a, a corner. What was it, Stingley Jr. got taken ahead of him. I understand Hutchinson got taken ahead of him and they're both going to be great players. Hutchinson played tremendous. But nobody, and this is why I gave him the defensive MVP of the Jets, I should say the defensive player of the year for the Jets, because no one on our team played their individual position better than Sauce on the Jet team. Now, when it comes to the rookies, no rookie can even compare to him on either side of the ball, Mike. And you have a nice little Sauce package here for everyone to see, don't you? Yes, sir. Believe number one for the New York Jets does. Old school, correct, new school sauce. Like a torpedo, Sauce Gardner coming through. Sauce wins that one. Picked off by Gardner. Got lost in the sauce. Yeah! And the defensive rookie of the year award goes to... Sauce Gardner. The city of New York has a history of sports teams producing elite level talent. As great as Darrell Revis was rookie cornerback Ahmad Sauce Gardner could be even better. playing in the city of New York has high expectations. And those were definitely met by Jets rookie cornerback, Ahmad Sauce Gardner, who had the best man coverage yards allowed in the National Football League. The defensive rookie of the year allowed just 54 yards in man coverage over 18 games. That boils down to an astounding 3.17 yards allowed per game. Leading the entire NFL, with 20 pass breakups while allowing just one touchdown in week two against the Browns, Sauce Gardner has won the Defensive Rookie of the Year and looks to be a great player moving forward. Dope, Mike Sauce Gardner. Mike, we know he was the number one rated corner on PFF this season. 
not just for rookies, Michael, for anyone who plays the position in the entire National Football League. We know he's all pro. We know he's a pro bowler. These are some of the reasons I think um, people are – I mean, obviously those are the reasons people are excited. But when you compare him to a guy like Revis, who was really good as a rookie also, um, one thing Revis did as a rookie that Sauce did this year, when you look at Sauce, he finished up with 75 tackles this year. Yeah. So me and Mike were going through some of the stats a few months ago. Deion Sanders, I mean, he had one season when he had 66. Now, he wasn't a tackling type of corner. We get that he was a coverage corner. But he didn't approach those type of numbers when it comes to the tackling. You know, he would be 20, 30, 40s. One year, he had 66. Revis's rookie year, he had 88. Then every year after that, right around the 40s and the 50s. But Sauce wasn't just a factor when it comes to covering guys. I mean, he was tackling people. I mean, he – when you talk about a complete corner – I mean, this is the guy. He's the height, the size, the speed, has the instincts, all of the things that these guys dream up in their minds when you think about the prototypical corner. Mike, he is every single one of those things and then some. So, again, I I mentioned that, you know, how good Darrell Revis was and this kid could be even better like we were just discussing as far as a rookie mm -hmm. output. And – Everything we talked about before about his, you know, ability, his swag, if you will, his brand, his 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 athletic freakishness, his, you know, just professionalism. I mean, it's all amazing. And I'm super excited that he's on our team going forward. I'm gonna buy a sauce jersey. I haven't had I haven't got the chance to buy one yet. But um having him, I mean, the thing is that's crazy about him is that. When you look at him, he's he's like freakishly long. Yeah. And when you get a guy like that who's smart and understands, reads, you know, defenses, understands and plays, he – I mean, there's nobody that's really going to be taking advantage of him. Maybe maybe a Tyreek Hill because of the speed, but even Tyreek yeah. didn't do anything against him this year. Yep. So – um, and Mike, the, the, the mental acumen part of the game is where these young corners, regardless of your physical tools and gifts, that's normally where they have to play catch up. You know, most corners, most people at that position don't come in year one and dominate. It's just not a position that happens. It just does not happen at that position. Guys can come in and show a ton of promise, physically show you the skills. They're fast enough. They're, 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 out, they're downfield covering, but maybe penalties – catch up with them because they're holding guys, right? Maybe some guys um, are better in zone. Some guys obviously better in man. This kid can do every single thing well, and he's only played 17 games. He's only 22 years old. I and know. I'm thinking of the type of contract that he's going to get when he gets to year three or four, his extension is going to be monstrous, Michael, because he's someone you can build the whole defense around. Yep. And we were hoping he would be that guy – you know, we signed DJ Reed also. We played great this year. I think we had the best corner tandem, according to me, in the whole NFL. <laughs> Q, obviously, Q, obviously, is very special in the middle. But, I mean, Sauce is just – he's just, you know, he's just special. And the fact that we got him and Garrett and Brees Hall all in the same season, I mean, that's tremendous. A lot of other rookies, too, seem like they had a lot of promise, like Clement, Jermaine Johnson, Max Mitchell. Yeah, like yeah. we're going to be we're gonna be getting into those soon. Yeah. There's a bunch of – I got to – Keith, I can't wait to go through a bunch of their stats with you because you're going to realize, oh, wow, you know what? Maybe we can let go of Carl Lawson. When well, that's what I wanted to get into here, Michael. That's a good segue there because Rich Samini, guys, if you want to go check it out on ESPN.com, um, go pop over to the Jets area. And you'll see Rich Samini had a really good article, Mike, and I, I was reading it yesterday, and me and you were talking about it, just all the guys that could be cut and the guys he thinks probably will be cut. So some of these guys might be on the block and might make sense. For instance, even though C.J. Mosley played great last year, the cap number next year is massive. But it might be detrimental to cut him because the, the, the dead money might hurt you. So he went through all these different guys to kind of give you the list of people he thinks are the most likely to get cut. And one of the guys right on top of the list, Mike, is Lawson. He's, he's going to count $15.7 million against the cap. But the way his contract is structured, they can cut him and save $15.4 million. It's almost all the money. They can, they can cut him and almost face no it's only $300,000 of dead money. That's not normally what happens. Normally it's 4 or $5 million when you're talking about $15 million. So he's someone, Mike, I think, and because of the player, Jermaine Johnson, and, and to, a, to a degree, Clemens also, they're going to expect growth from those two guys. I think Lawson's a good uh, going to probably be a casualty here. Not that he won't come back to the Jets, 
may have been a more team-friendly contract, but I don't see him back next year, Mike. I think Carl Lawson, unfortunately, I know he got hurt his first year, and he wasn't bad this year. He had seven sacks. He had some pressures, but he played, Mike, pretty much like an average defensive end, and he's getting paid big money here. So I, I don't see – do you think that's someone that's likely to kind of be on the chopping block here when the Jets are talking about finances? I think they're going to look to restructure him. I don't know if they're going to straight up cut him. If they can't restructure, they're going to straight up cut him because when you look at it from a pass rushing efficiency perspective – um, Michael Clemens, I think, was either ranked 26th or 27th in the in at defensive end um, and rushing the passer. Jermaine Johnson was like 36 or 37. And then Carl Lawson was like 52. I, yeah. I don't have the numbers in front efficient. of me right now, yeah, but they, those two were actually more efficient. And with more time, you know, I think that with Huff, bringing Huff back, you know, um, but the thing is, I know um, this coaching staff loves its pass rushers. And yeah. so um, I'm looking at Carl Lawson. I don't think they're bringing him back at 15.7, but if they bring it down to like 10 or nine, then I think it's doable, but it just depends if he's going to want to have his, his deal restructured or not. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a scenario where I think it's likely he does get cut. Cause like I said, they can recoup the entire amount that he'd be on the cap. Um, but if he's not going to be able to get one of those big contracts with another team, it makes sense for him to come back to the Jets. Maybe, like I mentioned, on a team-friendly contract. A couple other guys I think are more likely to get cut. Lawson, I think, is going to gonna get cut. Um, I think also Berrios, Mike, he's not in a great spot. He's going to count oh, yeah. eight point two. He's counting $8.2 million against our cap next year. If they cut him, they could save $5 million bucks. He's That's gone. Guy who averaged, yeah, he's gone. He averaged 30 yards per carry 2022. 2021, 2022, and then last year he dropped that down to 23. I don't think he was very helpful on the offensive side of the ball. We're going to have a new offensive coordinator. I don't know how valuable he'll be to to you know to hack it. So I know Barrios, we like him a lot. I think he, he's talented, Mike. I think he can help a team, but not at the number they brought him back at. I, I didn't mind them bringing him back this year to keep that continuity because he played well. Um, but he didn't. He wasn't that much of a. He didn't really help the team that much as you're on offense or kick returns. So I think Barrios is gone. And I think another guy that's likely is Corey Davis. Now I know Hackett likes big receivers in his offense, but Corey Davis has played 22 of a possible 34 games here for the Jets the past two years. He's missed a whole bunch of games, Mike. He has about a thousand yards in two seasons. That's not really what we signed up for. He's making big money. He, you can clear about ten and a half million dollars off the cap. If they cut him. So Samini suggested those guys, and I agree, those three guys are likely to get cut. Jordan Whitehead, Mike, um, I don't think, you know, he's pretty good against the run. He had, had a lot of mistakes this year in coverage, and safety is probably one of our weakest spots on the defense. I mean, I don't think anyone can really argue that. So they can save about seven and a half million bucks if they cut him. Jordan Whitehead, I'm 50 50 on him. Dwayne Brown, Mike, I think the more likely scenario he retires. Just because I know this year he, he tore the rotator cuff and to be his agent come back from that is pretty difficult, I think. He gunned it out this year. Um, If he does retire, they'll save about $9.7 million. If he does retire, that'll help the Jets. And the other guy that was on Simini's list, like I mentioned, was Mosley. He's $21.5 million on the cap, but he really is kind of the quarterback of the defense out there. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't see them cutting Mosley. They'll save a ton of money if they did that. I don't see that as a reality, Mike. I think more what's more likely – is I know Mosley likes it here. This defense looks like it could be something special. I think he's somebody they figure something out, how to restructure, maybe convert some of that money into a signing bonus to save some money for the Jets next year on the cap. I don't think Mosley's going anywhere, though. Uh, CJ, he he had a very good season this year. Obviously, Pro Bowl, all that. Last year was okay. Um, he's, you know, it's funny because if he continues to keep uh, playing, for the Jets, when it comes time for him to go into the Hall of Fame, who knows? He may come in as a Jet also, <laughs> and not a and not a Raven. You know, yeah, you never know. Um, Especially yeah, if he sticks with the team, Mike, and they have a a run of success here the next two, three, four years. Which is, if we do get a quarterback, it's possible. And that's the other topic that's been banded about this week. I mean, Mike, every quarterback that is available or is suggested to be available mm -hmm. is rumored to be going to the Jets. You yep. in this week, cause you're on top of it, Mike, this, this week you've sent me links and people saying, look, Aaron Rodgers, the Jets, this is happening. And then also I know we got downing here now. So part of the Jets makes a ton of sense. And then yeah. Lamar Jackson, they're kicking the tires on that. And then even Stafford and Tannehill, I'm like, Oh my God, my brain's going to explode. Cause it seems like every one of those different hypotheticals, the Jets have their toe in the water because they have to keep track of them all. Because, say, for instance, Mike, 
Rodgers gets traded. I'm going to throw this out there. Rodgers gets traded to the Raiders, right? And then say Green Bay brings Jimmy G in there because they need a quarterback. Now, like, say all the top three quarterbacks and then Carr goes to, to the Carolina Panthers. The Jets, we have to get someone in. We have to bring a veteran in. Yeah. So that's why I think they're monitoring other guys and we outside the box even, like a Tannehill who you mentioned, Mike. Stafford, I know there's rumblings. Now they might move him because they're like Baker Mayfield, which sounds nuts, but who knows because of Stafford's – his contract is huge. It's coming off of, um, some surgery, so we'll see. But, Mike, it does seem like everywhere you look, every rumor out there, the Jets are involved. Um, I want to say something. I like what Salah has done uh, at offense. You know, people will say what they want to say about Hackett and even downing. Um, what he literally did was he took people who didn't succeed at the certain level, but they were good enough at the previous level to be promoted to the next level, right? So that means yeah. they're good at what they were doing previous. And Downing uh, was an OC in 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 for the Raiders, by the way, um, when he was with Derek Carr, twenty fifteen through twenty seventeen, forty six games. Carr had 62.5% completion percentage, 11,000 yards, 82 touchdowns, 32 ints, um, with a 91.5 rating with three Pro Bowl appearances. That's the best okay. stretch of his career. Yeah. So, so and Hackett, right? You know, we know we already had a discussion with him. So he brings Hackett in, who got fired as a head coach, brings him back as an OC. We get yeah. Todd Downing, who got fired as an OC, back as a passing coordinator. I like I, it. You know, I like that. And then the passing coordinator uh, on the Titans, along with the running uh, uh, coordinator who's the, on the offensive line from the Titans. So there's yeah, synergies Carter, there. Yeah. That I, 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 I see it. And I'm like, okay, okay. So yeah. you get a car, you get a Rodgers, you get a Jimmy G. You got experienced coaches that have run this offense. And you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I like what I'm seeing. And then with these quarterbacks, I mean, you could just go look at the Vegas odds, man. The Jets are like 10th, 12th, something like that. Like, we we have it. I, I mean, you know, I'm not looking at it like, oh, my God, I hope they come here. I'm looking at it like all these quarterbacks are looking at the Jets like, yo, I want to go play with Brees Hall. Mm -hmm. I want to go play with Robert Sala and Joe Douglas. I want to have thrown to Garrett Wilson. Like, yeah. New York is attractive. So um, we're, we're going to see what happens. And I think Joe Douglas is going to be all over it. Guys, I've heard all types of rumors. I've heard rumors that the Jets may trade for Matt Stafford. Okay. Yeah. I've heard rumors about uh, potentially Dak Prescott being let go and Lamar Jackson and all types of wild Crazy. You know, theories out there. We don't know, but all I know is this. I got Trey, I got faith in Joe Douglas because I know his career is on the line right now. So same with Robert Sala. And I think they're going to get it done at the quarterback position. And um, I'm excited to see it. Let, let's see how this team, um, how, how he responds here. I want him to be aggressive on Derek Carr. I do. I want him to pick the guy that his team feels that they make the best sense, most sense and then they go out and execute. So I'm I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, it is kind of crazy, Mike, <clears throat> like you mentioned, to think that when you look at those Vegas odds, I think the Jets were were ahead of, and I got it right here, Michael, um, were ahead of, for Vegas odds for 2023, which Mike is referring to, were ahead of the Dolphins, the Rams, the Green Bay Packers, the Saints, the Broncos, the Raiders, the Giants, the Minnesota Vikings, the Steelers, all of those teams, the Jets have better odds right now next year to win the Super Bowl than they do. And we don't even know who our quarterback is, which what that's telling you is Vegas knows, the world knows, football fans know. If the Jets get a quarterback in here who can play just decent, just play average for us, just like Mike White did over, over a little short span, we're going to be a problem. We're going to be a problem for you because we have a ton of great players on rookie contracts on defense. We got Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall on offense. We got ABT coming back. We're probably going to beef up the offensive line, guys. I mean, through that first 11, 12 games of even this year, the people were looking at the Jets like, wow, man, they can really run the ball and they play great defense and those type of teams are really hard to beat. I'm not saying they are the sexiest teams or the teams that always win the Super Bowl or anything like that, but they're hard to beat. It's hard to beat those type of teams. 
You add a quarterback to that equation I just said, who can, who's a veteran, who knows what he's doing, who's not going to crumble under the pressure, um, like we've seen with our, our rookies the past, you know, four or five years with the combination of Sam and now um, um, Zach Wilson. I don't know, man. We haven't seen it. We've seen a Flacco's a vet, right? But Flacco's kind of at the end of the, the race here. You know, he's run a marathon of his career. He's right at the end. And he would show you flashes even where he'd have 300 yards and the offense would look great. That's what Joe Flacco, no one thinks Joe Flacco's that great. And Mike White, as much as we all love Mike White in New York, and I hope he's the backup next year, or if we bring in someone like a Tannehill or whatever, I think Mike White will probably maybe challenge for the starting job. Who knows, Mike? But no one thinks Mike White's the greatest quarterback of all time, and the offense with him was still pretty successful. So get us somebody in here. I think if it's Carr, if it's any of the guys you mentioned, it's going to be that step up from where we've been for about five years in a row, which is right at the bottom of the NFL. Our quarterbacks for three years with Sam and two years with Zach now have been right at the bottom of the league. And we all know it. Jets fans know it. When you watch the Jets, people know it. Quarterback play has been horrible. And in spite of that, last year, they were still a team that was a problem. You know, so, man, all those guys sound great to me. Like, every rumor I'm eating up, and I just know that any of those guys will be an improvement for us next year and put us in a better position to win. Uh, agreed, brother. All right, dude. Yeah, that's all we got for you this week. Now, everybody listen to this. You probably had a wonderful Valentine's last night, uh, but I want to say happy Valentine's to everybody. We'll get Wookie and we'll get Sammy back here next week. We'll be chopping it up, guys. Michael, if anyone does want to get us or support us in any way, shape, or form, how could they do that? Uh, guys, we're on Facebook at AEBG.JetsRadio, on Twitter at AEBG underscore NYJ podcast, and on Instagram at Jet.AEBG. You heard the man on behalf of the biggest Jet fan in the state of Texas, Michael Agaris. My name's Keith Farrell. Get at you next week, everybody. Peace out.